If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to be looking uh, at the last part of that chapter. You ever, ever had someone deny knowing you that you thought, for sure they know me? They know me. Why are they denying that? Or they ignore you, maybe? They just pretend you're not there? Um, or they're denying you help that they actually promised to give you? How'd that make you feel? You ever had that happen? Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, Jesus chose not to deny us his salvation. He chose not to deny that to us. And we need to remember that we need to deny ourselves because of that salvation, not deny Jesus. And that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus has been arrested. That's where we are. He's in, he's in trial right now. He's in the trial of the high priest. And we'll talk some more about that the next time. But um, he's in trial. He's all of a sudden going through. But meanwhile, kind of like a side story that's going on in the courtyard between the two houses of the high priest, Peter, his, his choice disciple, his most vocal disciple, Peter's denying everything. He is turning his back on Jesus. He's not holding up his promises, and he is failing. So let me read these pa this passage to you. I'm going to start, I'm going to read verse 54 because that's part of the story. And then I'll jump down to 66. So, Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard. And he was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. Now down to 66. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway, and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them, since you're also a Galilean. Then... He started to curse and swear. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father, it is... As ugly as this scene is, we're not very far from it. Our hearts are always just on razor's edge sometimes to deny you by keeping our mouth shut sometimes. So I pray this morning that we, as we look at Peter's failure, colossal failure, we'll see how our hearts can, we can guard our hearts from that same kind of failure. We need your help this morning, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Peter really demonstrates here how self-love leads to a failure. Leads to a failure to remain faithful to Jesus. He displays a half-hearted allegiance here. He really splits it down the middle. And when we love ourselves, which we all do, more than we love Jesus, sometimes, we allow our self-preservation to... to render our heart kind of in a non-committal attitude toward Christ. 
We, we let that plague us and affect us. So, this morning, what can we learn from Peter's self-love that will help us deny ourselves, that will help us follow Christ wholeheartedly? Because Peter's failure teaches three truths this morning about our own heart's denial of Jesus. And really this morning we're going to focus on how we deal with our sin. And that's what we're going to focus on. How we deal with our sin. How it comes on us. So first, pride causes sin. If you don't know that, you're about to learn that. Pride will cause you to sin. And that's what happens to Peter here. Let me read verse 54 through uh, the first part of verse 68. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him, which means she looked really intently at him, and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Denial number one. Pride causes sin. So Peter followed Jesus as he was arrested and taken to the house of the high priest. He followed at a distance. Now, he had already run away like the rest of the 11 in the garden, but he had come back. John and him both had come back. John was already in because he was friends with the servants at the high priest's house. But Peter wanted to come back. He had to be close. He had to be close to Jesus. But he didn't get too close. That's what his problem was. See, the pride in him wouldn't let him go hide, but it also wouldn't let him get too close. Um, He's coming back, really, to save face. So then he can tell Jesus later, well, I was there, Jesus. I was in the courtyard. I was with you. I I I was on your side kind of thing. I mean, he's really trying to save face. He's feeding his pride, but in the back of his mind, fear is wrestling with his loyalty to Jesus because he's afraid he's going to get arrested too. I mean, remember, he, he cut off the ear and tried to cut off the head of a servant of the high priest in the guard. So he could be prosecuted. He could be prosecuted. But he was just too self-assured that he was invincible. He was too self-assured about his resistance to sin. Jesus had told him in verse 30 of chapter 14, you will deny me three times tonight before a rooster crows twice. You will. You will deny me three times. And, and pride just sold him on his invincibility. Pride sold him on the fact that he couldn't sin. He couldn't do that. No, no way possible. Even if all the others do it, I will never do it. But he was wrong. So a servant girl, a lowly servant girl comes up to him and she makes a remark. She's not even asking him a question. She just says something out loud. Hey, you're one of those that was with Jesus of Nazareth, Right? But she didn't ask that question. She just said it. You're one of those with it. How did she recognize him? Who knows? She might have been the, the servant girl that let him into the courtyard. She might have seen him in the temple that week with Jesus when he was doing all the teaching on Wednesday of Passion Week. Did her remark have to be answered? No. Peter didn't have to say a word. So why did he say something? Pride. Pride. Pride wouldn't let him be accused, so he didn't want to get arrested. So, again, he's fearful he's going to get arrested, but his pride wouldn't let this go. He wouldn't stay incognito in that situation right there. And then he lied. He just flat-out lied. That's all denials are right here is he's lying emphatically. 
because he felt threatened by her assertion. He felt threatened that she was asserting that he was guilty of something, and he didn't want that to happen. He was defending himself. He feared the results that was going to happen. And pride led him into a very, very difficult position and eventually into sinning against Christ. And he was caught totally unprepared for what his pride had put him in, for how his pride had drug him into that situation. Remember, the other 10 disciples or nine disciples are gone. They're not even in this situation. Peter's in the courtyard. He's not getting confronted. I mean, John's in the courtyard. He's not getting confronted. Peter is there. Have you ever been surprised by someone's question or comment and you answer quickly off the top of your head? You know, you say something that you probably shouldn't have said. You know, open mouth, insert foot. Yeah, I've done it. Pride speaks defensively a lot of times. We defend ourselves. We're fearful about what's going to happen if we, we let that comment go. We start lying to cover up. We're trying to save face. And Peter was doing the exact same thing here. But Peter experienced the full humiliation of his pride. Because God has told us in, in Proverbs, in two different places in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 18, he says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And then Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low. One's pride will bring him low. But a lowly spirit, those who are lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Peter will learn humility by this event. And we will see a great apostle come out of this. But right now, we're in the middle of it. And our own pride sometimes needs this kind of humbling as well. So here are some lessons from this first truth, this first fact that pride leads you into sin. First of all, we don't need to answer things defensively. We need to be honest about them. We don't need to answer them as if we're trying to defend something. We just need to be honest about who we are and why we're there and what we're doing. Because your pride or reputation is at stake here, you need to let that go. There shouldn't be any pride. There shouldn't be any reputation that you are concerned about. We need to let our humility show by not defending ourselves against every insinuation and every accusation. It usually gets us in trouble. It usually drives us down the wrong road. So that's one lesson from this one. Another lesson is to allow a, a compromise of truth to happen to protect ourselves. See what Peter did here? He just said, I don't even know who you're talking about. Well, why are you in the courtyard during this trial in the middle of the doggone night if you don't know who that is being tried? He's lying. But he compromised the truth to protect himself. A little exaggeration, a little white lie. There's no such thing, by the way. A little white lie. They're all lies. They're all black. To enhance our position, or worst of all, we like to win the argument. I mean, we always like to win the argument. So we'll stretch the truth, we'll twist the truth, we'll even just flat out lie. We don't need to do that. Allowing a compromise of truth to protect ourselves that's a lesson we don't need to let, let happen. We don't need that to happen to us. The third lesson is that pride in ourselves over our allegiance to Christ, we fear ridicule and it causes us to lie about our faith. Sometimes we think more of ourselves than we do of Jesus. I mean, we do. We think, I got I to gotta say something. I got to defend myself. You know, my pride can't let that go. Our pride, our pride will drag us. I mean, literally, it will drag you into traps and snares if you're not willing to let it go. Our pride will carry us in places we don't want to go. 
And it can only be avoided if we have a realistic appraisal of our own heart. How prideful are we? How, how much are we, we trying to defend ourselves, stand up for ourselves? I'm not telling you to be a doormat to anybody, but I'm telling you that sometimes our hearts are so full of pride we can't hear the Holy Spirit talking to us. We must let the Holy Spirit reveal to us the pockets of pride that we carry in our hearts. We've got to let that happen. If we don't, we're going to be like Peter, caught in a compromising situation, and your pride just won't let you admit the truth. <clears throat> so pride got Peter into this compromising situation. That's the first truth we learn from this situation, this whole event. The second thing is that hiding won't solve the problem. Retreating from the problem delays confession. Let me read verse 68b through 70a. Um, whoever divided these up in verses didn't do a good job. No, it's a long time ago. Then he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Again, he denied it. So, so Peter moves from this fire or torch or whatever he's warming himself around and these people around him. He moves, this maidservant's there, he moves to the gate, which is in the shadows, darkness, it's, dark, it's night. It's, and it's also close to the street. So if he needs to make a quick getaway in case they bring soldiers to arrest him, I mean, he's trying to hide. He's in the shadowy area of the gate or the, or the gateway or the arch or some ver versions of your Bible may say porch. Anyway, the servant girl, now she gets the crowd involved. She brings, and she brings some bystanders. She says, this is one of them. Now, why is she pursuing Peter? Because Peter called her a liar. He said, you don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who you're talking about. Peter called her a liar, so now she's defending herself. So she's chasing him down. You, never, you, you ever know how we, notice how we inflame a situation because we, we stretch the truth or we lie, and now someone's got to defend themselves because we're calling them a liar? This is kind of what happened to, to Peter. Some other accounts of this in the other Gospels, it's in all four Gospels, they talk about the bystanders getting involved more at this point. That some of the bystanders started telling Peter, oh yeah, you, you, were, you were in the garden, I saw you, whatever. But Peter denies knowing Jesus Christ. Denial number two. So Peter retreated to the gate to avoid more questions. He retreated to the gate to get away from the guilt that he was already feeling for that first denial, but he still gets confronted with it. And see, retreating only delays the realization that you need to confess it. You need to own it. You need to admit it. He couldn't face it yet that he was denying Jesus. And the only solution is confession. For this dilemma, he's got to own the truth that, yes, I am one of the followers of Jesus Christ. And let happen what happens. But anyway, you ever think that one of your errors that you've made got overlooked by somebody? They missed it. And you thought you got away with something? And then all of a sudden someone says, oh, by the way, oh, I hate those moments. It comes up again. And what do you do then? What do you do when they've caught you? You'd say, oh, no, that was so-and-so. That wasn't me. In this digital age, most of, it, most of everything we do has got some sort of signature of our own on it in some form or fashion. You know, the only way to handle that is to confess. I got caught in a lie one time, and it was like I could lie more and maybe get away with it, or I could just own it, and I did. And it taught whoever was confronting me a lesson that I was willing to own my sin. 
I didn't do it every time, so don't go out here thinking I'm some special. But, but God has always offered mercy and grace to us when we confess. It's there. That's what believers believe. That's the whole reason we're here today is because we believe Jesus Christ provides us forgiveness. His mercy is more. We just sang that, or at least part of that. David knew this. And he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalms 32, 5. You know, we know this, and we try to live that out. That's why we have a confessional prayer every, every week during our Sunday service. We, we ask you to take a little time there as we confess our sins. Because John, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confession, not retreat, which is what Peter did. So we need to think about it. When we're sinning, when we're sinning, we seek, sometimes we seek isolation. We seek to get away from the, the, the spotlight. We seek to get away from someone maybe that could hold us accountable. <laughs> we do. We, we try to find a hiding place instead of going to the real hiding place, which is God. We really are hoping to avoid accountability. We're hoping we'll avoid someone who will say, yeah, I saw you. Retreating from the accusations to escape the conviction of our souls by the Holy Spirit is a bad idea. And that's what Peter was trying to do, and we do it all the time. It's a bad idea to try to hide from the Holy Spirit. First of all, you can't. God sees you. God sees you. Somebody else may not have, but God sees you, and he's the one you owe the apology to. You know, and this hiding we do and this retreating we do just prolongs. It prolongs the misery. The sooner we confess, the sooner we own it, the agony of our sin can be over. And if we, if we prolong it, we just make the, the confession and even the restitution that we might need to make to somebody, we make it harder. It's harder. We really get bogged down with that. The sooner we own our wrongs, confess them to God and whomever we've wronged, our faith is actually strengthened. You know, it's an act of faith to confess your sins. It's an act of faith that says, I believe my sins are forgiven. I believe that. So I'm going to own my sins. I'm going to confess them. I'm going to tell God I'm sorry. And then go tell whoever you've sinned against, if there is someone, the same thing. Our faith is strengthened by our confession. Do, you, do we realize how good our Father is? We sang that to a while ago. Good, good Father. We sang that. Do you realize how good our Father is? We sometimes say we do, and we sing it. You're a good, good Father. But we don't ask for the forgiveness that makes him such a good, good Father. Forgiveness is, it, by him is one of the ways we really, 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 truly believe that he is good. I mean, he's good in a lot of other ways. But until we confess our sins and be free of our sins, we're not counting on his goodness. And Peter didn't do that yet in the middle of his second denial. Confess and be free of your sins. Don't hang on to them. Don't use them to punish yourself because you're not allowed to. God's going to take care of that. If he's going to punish you, just it's going to happen whether you confess them or not. So Peter's pride, it led him into that confrontation, led him into that situation. And now he's trying to retreat back out of it 
He's trying to get out of that situation and hide a little bit, but not go too far away because he's trying to save face with Jesus and stay around. And now he makes it absolutely unbearable what he does next. He makes his guilt and his hurt so much more, so much worse. False oaths avoid repentance. Verse 70b through 72. That's what Peter's doing here. He's just trying to avoid repentance. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, You certainly are one of them, since you're a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. He broke down and wept. He should. He just denied his Lord and his master. So in Luke's account of this, he says about an hour goes by before this actual third denial happens. About an hour goes by and there's some time lapse here. And someone else brings up Peter's association with Jesus. John records, this is the interesting thing, John records that a relative of the guy he cut the ear off of in the garden brings it up. A relative of Malchus. Um, one of the other accounts says that someone recognizes Peter by his accent because he's from Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his time. So I think a lot of people were involved in this third denial. I think there was a lot of people going, yeah, you sound like a Galilean. Yeah, you, you, you were from there. Oh, yeah, and you cut my, friend, my relative's ear off, or tried to anyway. So Peter is beyond frustrated now. They won't accept his word. They won't accept what he's saying. Hey, listen, I've told you, I don't know the man. So now he's, he's frustrated. He is indignant over their questions. You know, I see him in this situation because I see me in this situation. When you tell someone something and they don't believe it, especially when you're lying and they don't believe it, it's terrible. So now he uses oaths or he uses swearing. And I'm he's not talking necessarily cussing or profanity. What he's doing is he's saying things like, I swear on a stack of Bibles, I don't know Jesus Christ. I swear on my mother's grave, I don't know Jesus Christ. He's calling down curses on himself if he's lying. That's what he's doing here. He's calling down curses on himself and, and using some form that they used back then to basically curse himself. But in the, in the course of doing this, he is disowning or completely disavowing Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me on that. He, by, by what he's trying to say, that his lie is truth, he's, dis, he's disavowing Jesus, who is truth and way in life. He's disowning him. And you remember, he swore never to leave Jesus. He swore never to leave Jesus. He promised he would not fall away. Now, this is Peter, and all the disciples will eventually be like, you're the strong disciple. Why are you denying Jesus? You're the one that swore you would go to death with him. Why are you denying? You have the keys of the kingdom. You got to see the transfiguration. You are Peter the rock. I mean, all these things are, are, are Peter's identity. He's the one that admitted in Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's the one that said, you have the words of eternal life. Why would we go anywhere else? And right now, he's denying his Savior, his Lord. He's denying him. He's denying him completely. He's using words. 
empty swears, to disavow. He is verbally separating himself from Jesus Christ. Out of the same mouth he promised Jesus he wouldn't fall, he's now swearing he doesn't know Jesus. That's how quick it can turn. That's what your pride can get you into. And if you don't confess the sins, it gets you in a lot of trouble. He's even violating Jesus' commands in Matthew 5 that says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He brings curses on himself trying to, to make his truth or his lie a reality, really. And he knows he is wrong. That's the thing. The whole time Peter's doing this, he knows he's wrong. But he's not going to let them catch him. He's not going to let them arrest him. And he plunges deeper and deeper and deeper into the lie. And he's denying Jesus instead of denying himself. He's trying to avoid repentance with hard and angry words. He's trying to escape the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You ever tried to run away from God? Not too easy to do, is it? If God's really pursuing you, if you're, a saved, if you're a saved human being, if your soul has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, He will pursue you. He will chase you down. Peter's trying to avoid that, but he doesn't. He doesn't. In a moment of silence, in the arguing that he's doing, in the moment of silence, you hear a rooster crow, and then another rooster crow. You hear two rooster crows in that little moment of silence. And this triggers his memory. And he remembers. He hears the words of Jesus, his rabbi, his master, his Lord, echoing in his ears. You will deny me three times. Peter's kept count. He knows this is the third time. He doesn't have to be, wait a minute, I think it's only once. He doesn't quibble with it. He knows it's three times. And it echoes over and over in his mind. I have denied my Savior, my Lord, my King, my Messiah three times. Once again, Jesus' words come true. Once again, he sees Jesus' words bear out to be truth. He sees the truth. The whole reason he started following Jesus was for truth. And he sees it right there. Now, let's talk about why three times. Well, first time... We make a mistake. We all make mistakes. First time's a mistake. Second time, an unfortunate coincidence, I would call it. You know, second time would be, yeah, he, he got caught or he just didn't correct himself. But a third time proved that Peter's life was not backing up his words. His life was not showing what he said he believed. His life was not showing what he had confirmed and swore in front of everybody, the disciples and Jesus. And since Luke records that Satan had asked to sift Peter, to try Peter, to test Peter, he's now getting tested. He's getting the three presses that we talk about with olives back then. You press them three times, you get three different kinds of oil out of them. Jesus prayed three different times in the Garden of Gethsemane to get pressed, ready for the cross. Satan, Satan, I mean, Peter's getting the same treatment because he has an arrogant heart. His pride, and it's got to be pressed out of him. Because what he does after Christ is ascended is amazing. And only a humble person could have been used by God in that way. But even at this moment, here's another thing. Luke records that the minute he denies him the third time and the rooster crows, Jesus looks at him across the courtyard or from the house or something. Wherever Jesus is, he can see Peter. Imagine what that look would have been like. It would have been like... Would it have been like that? No, I don't think so. 
I think, it would have been, I think it would have been sad. I think it would have been a sad face. Would Jesus have said, I told you so? No. No. I think Jesus would ask Peter why he hadn't heeded the warning. Why didn't you, why didn't you heed the warning? He asked him, would ask him, why didn't you pray for strength? I took you to the Garden of Gethsemane and told you to pray for an hour. You never prayed. You slept. Why didn't you pray? And he would point to Peter's pride one more time. I mean, remember, he's the, he, Peter's also the one that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He knew Peter had pride. It was pretty obvious. But if he said any of that, he would finish it all with, you're forgiven. Grace and compassion. I think his, the look on his face was probably sad <sighs> that Peter had not listened and heeded the warning. But he knew that he would be forgiven. He would offer him grace for this crime. And then Peter's tears came fast and furious. He was buckled under the conviction. I mean, that's what that word actually means. He broke down. He was buckled by it physically. Probably couldn't stand. Probably had to take a knee. Because repentance now began to flow. He was sorry. Now tears... They don't give forgiveness. They don't bring forgiveness. They don't even show contrition or repentance. Actions. That's what shows repentance and, and contrition. So after this event happened, he, Peter's not anywhere around the cross at, at that time. He's probably suffering somewhere, having some, a self-pity party. But after the crucifixion, he's looking for Jesus. And when he's in, it's announced that the tomb's empty, Peter's one of the first ones there. Every, every chance he can get, he wants to be near Jesus afterwards. <clears throat> he stays ready to meet Jesus whenever Jesus shows up in the upper room in Galilee. He tries not to let Jesus out of his sight. And eventually, Jesus restores Peter. You can go to John chapter 21, you can see it. Jesus gives Peter three times, three times to confirm and affirm his love Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you really love me? And every time Peter said yes, but I think Peter got the lesson. I know he did. And he was forgiven and he was restored. And now Peter had a mission of his own. Because Jesus said, when you, when you return from this denial, encourage your brothers, strengthen your brothers. Christ's kindness led Peter to repentance. That's what it says in Romans 2.4. His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So now you think about all the people that cried over their sin. Esau. Esau versus Peter. Why, why wasn't Esau forgiven? Because Esau didn't seek forgiveness. He sought a blessing for himself. He sought something for himself. He never owned his own sin in giving up his birthright. He just, wanted Jake, he just wanted Isaac to give him some sort of blessing, and he hated Jacob after that. So no, Esau wasn't forgiven because he didn't seek true, he didn't have true repentance. Well, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Well, Judas only sought exoneration from men. He only sought to be made right with the, the guys he'd made the deal with to sell Jesus. And he tried to, to absolve himself by giving the money back, and they didn't take it. And so his unresolved guilt was handled by suicide. That's the difference between them. Peter, he knew who he had to go to. He was convicted and he repented. And Peter learned repentance from this. 
Because here's a portion of his sermon at Pentecost where 3,000 people get saved. He says this, Repent, <laughs> repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38. He got it. He got it right there. Boom, in an instant. The Holy Spirit comes down and Peter's like, I need to talk about repentance. I need to preach repentance. But you know, it's also how important it is in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Jesus is speaking to churches in specific towns, but I think he's speaking to his church throughout the ages. And Jesus is telling them, these seven churches, he tells them to repent in that ch those two chapters 11 times. 11 times. You think repentance is important to God? <laughs> I do. I think it's very important to God. And in this, this dungeon of denial that Peter's got himself into, and he dug it deeper and deeper and deeper, Instead of stopping and looking to confess and repent until he heard that rooster crow. And our hearts, when we do this kind of thing, our hearts grow more callous. We, we grow more callous to Christ's kindness when we delay our repentance. When we, when we just won't, we won't go there. We won't admit it. Our hearts get callous. Sin subdues our hearts from admitting that we're wrong. And the, the more often you don't admit you're wrong when you're wrong the less often you'll admit you're wrong when you're wrong. It just is a cycle. And it can spiral down and get you in a, a situation where you feel like you're not close to Jesus and you don't feel saved and all those kind of things come along. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is only and always found in confessing and repenting our sins to the Savior. You can't absolve yourself. You can't do penance. You can't do good deeds and make your sins better. Confession, repentance, and then do better. Try to do better after that. You've got to give them over to Jesus. I mean, in the Bible you read, God points to men who had great failures. He points to them in, in, the, in the chapter of the, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, but he points to them in other places. People like Noah saved his family, built an ark. They'd never seen a drop of rain. Saves his family and then gets drunk off of his wine afterwards. Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, they all had great failures. Lot, Peter, we see. Paul, all had great failures. But God used them because they repented. They were willing to turn away from their sin. And we must learn to own and admit our sins to Jesus and to others when necessary. We need to stop having pride. We need to stop retreating from it. And we need to stop delaying our re repentance. We need to get past it. Like I said a while ago, it strengthens your faith to get past it. Restoration will come faster when we own our wrongs without dodging their existence. Faith in Jesus means we believe that sin can be forgiven. Confession is healing and repentance is holy. We can be forgiven. That's what our faith says. That's why we came to Jesus. We needed to be forgiven. That's where it starts. You can't get saved until you figure out you're lost. So believing that your sins can be forgiven and then confession just heals you and repentance begins to make you holy. You begin to clean things out of your life. 
And why can we do this? Because we know whom we have believed, and we're persuaded that he is able to keep our soul to that day, to keep us sinless. So you need to make repentance and restitution part of your walk with Jesus every day. Ask your heart, ask Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit, did I do something? Is there something I need to own? Is there some sin I need to repent of? Is there someone I have hurt or possibly hurt? It's freeing to our soul if we're willing to ask that question and pursue it. So as I finish up here, we need to remember that Peter failed miserably here. This is one episode in his life where he failed bad. By pride, by retreating, by cursing, he only delayed the inevitable. And he denied Jesus instead of denying himself. Acts 3.19 is another place where Peter is preaching to a crowd. He says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. Like the song said, my sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. So let's own our sins. Let's confess them if we need to to one another. Let's confess them to God. Let's encourage repentance in our hearts. Our salvation is not meant to be private, so our sins are not meant to be private. They need to be shared with God at a minimum. And Jesus saves us from sins, not so we can sin more. Our sins should never be a barrier or any kind of deterrence to, to approach God with. They don't need to get in our way. Our fellowship with Jesus doesn't need anything like that in our way. Because he already knows what you've done. You're not, you're not bring, giving him anything he doesn't already know. So this morning, as we start to get ready for our pastoral prayer time, I want you to, to confess and ask for strength to win the battles against sin in our hearts. Peter never asked God to get him through this or to help him not deny Jesus. Let's ask Jesus to help us deny our wants, to take up Jesus' selflessness and follow his word. And let's all commit today to die to ourselves and set our mind on things above. Things above. We need to pray about it. If you want to pray down here at the, the front, come on. We're going to have a time of quiet, silent prayer, and then I'll close this after a minute or so. So let's pray right now.